Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 84. Yes, 84 of the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. Blimey, we've been doing this for a long time. We've done a lot of these, and yet, astonishingly, we still have more exciting and interesting things to tell you about the world of financial well-being. And with me are two of the most exciting and interesting people currently working in financial services. Chris, who are you? Chris Bud, I'm an author. I, I, I've always struggled because I do a few different things. I've always struggled to know how to introduce myself at parties when on the rare occasions we get to go to them these days. So today I'm going to define myself as Chris Bud, person who is having a one and a half hour root canal operation at one o'clock today. That's the only thing that's in my head right at the minute, to be quite honest with you. Oh, well, I'm seeing you this evening, so God knows what state you're going to be in. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Good yeah. luck is all I can say. Oh, my name's David Lloyd, by the way. I didn't introduce myself. Uh, going now to the person who is, uh, as I look at my Zoom screen, uh, sitting just beneath me, like one of the teams on University Challenge, uh, Tom Morris, who are you? Um, somebody who's only thinking of the young ones. You know, when they kick yes. through the uh, bottom. <laughs> it totally went through, through my head that. as well, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, who am I? Uh, director and uh, Chartered Financial Planner over at Ovation Finance in Bristol. Um, so come and have a chat if you're interested uh, in you know, all things financial planning. And rugby. Go into, and rugby uh, and cricket and golf. That's me in a nutshell. Uh, oh, that's rather boring compared to you two, isn't it? Root Canal. I don't know. It's a rather lovely nutshell. It's well-polished and interesting. <laughs> uh, talking of the young ones, I was in move off Tomo's of nutshells, ones. please. Oh, was, Lord. <laughs> I was in an episode of the young ones. That was the first TV thing I was ever in back in 1982, I believe it was. Yeah, long time back. What was eh? the episode, David? Do you remember? It was called Interesting, and it was where they had a party at their house in series one. I remember it. And yeah. I was one of Vivian's friends who come in at the end and cause all sorts of mayhem. It was great fun to do. Great fun to do. Long time ago now. It was recorded in Bristol, wasn't it? No, they did the exteriors in Bristol, ah. but all the studio stuff in inside the house was done at Television Centre. You mean it wasn't London. inside a real house? No, it was a, oh my God. It was a set in a the studio. The magic of television. Uh, well, it was. It was for me because it was my first experience of working on TV and we recorded it live in front of an audience. And it was just, it was magical. It was absolutely yeah. amazing. I'll never forget it. And I did a few of those sitcoms through the 80s. Hello, hello. I was in The New Statesman and uh, one or two other things. And, and that that combination of doing stuff for the camera, which ultimately is what it's all about, but actually at the same time having a live audience out there to generate the laughter and do all of that. It was brilliant, brilliant. Happy days. Anyway, enough of that. Um Let's move on to today's podcast. So what are we going to be talking about today, Chris? Today, David, this is it. This is the big oh. one. This is the moment when all that we've been talking about for those 83 podcasts comes together in one beautiful moment. Today, I'm going to reveal the secret to happiness. Well, you can absolutely guarantee that after today's podcast, everybody here listening to this is going to know how to make themselves happy. Yes. Wow. That Hello. is <laughs> that is a, a not immodest promise that he's Wish me luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward very much to finding out what that is. But before we do, there are, of course, many roads to happiness. And one of them is to make sure that we don't waste any money and that we look after our money carefully. And the expert at that, the master of meanness, the professor of parsimony, is none other than 
tight ass Tomo. Now, every so often, I have to just remind people where this moniker came from. Uh, Tom Morris, our producer, many years ago at the start of the podcast, was uh, out for lunch with Chris and, and another colleague, Ian, who used to be a producer on this show, lovely Ian Else. And they were going out to lunch. And Tomo said, don't worry, guys. This one's on me. Chris and Ian thought, oh, fantastic. You know, and, and, and Tom said, may I recommend this particular dish on there? It was a chicken thing, I seem to remember. And uh, Chris and Ian looked at that and thought, oh, yeah, that looks really, really nice. Yeah, we'll have that. We'll have that. And so they had it. They enjoyed it. And Tom paid for it. And Chris and Ian thought, what a generous man Tom always. What a lovely, lovely, kind-hearted, warm generous man which indeed listeners i have to tell you he is what they didn't know and subsequently realized was that tom had a voucher for this particular meal which meant that he got it for free and so the legend of titus tomo was born and now over many many podcasts he has come back to us and dispensed a gem a pearl of mean wisdom and before we ask him to give us today's chris have you got anything for us Talk about before the Lord Mayor's show. You give him that bill as I go, go on then, Chris, chuck one in, go on. <laughs> well, I, actually, David, I'm going to give uh, a tight ass Tomo tip uh, based upon what you've just been talking about. Because something that uh, I've, <laughs> I've done in the past <laughs> is I've given, I like to give tickets for um, presents. We know that experiences give I thought you meant better. parking tickets. <laughs> Get off my drive. <laughs> we know that um we know that experiences give, gives greater well-being than stuff, right? So rather than buying somebody a Christmas or birthday present of something that they don't really need and, and will forget about after a few weeks, buy them a ticket to something that maybe you go along with them too and you'll have a shared experience, social relationship, great stuff. Well well, one thing I did a couple of years ago is I got my wife tickets to, to see the recording of um, Not Going Out, the TV show, which are free. <laughs> Didn't tell her that, but obviously. But um, if you go on to just Google BBC tickets, there's a, a section of the website. I'm looking at it right now. You can get free tickets to see recordings of things like the Infinite Monkey Cage, The Anatomy of Kindness, looks interesting, on 2nd of March, results of a mass survey examining public attitudes to kindness. You can go and see that being recorded. The, the Now Show, uh, all sorts of things. Maureen Lippmann's show is coming up. Loads of things that you can get free tickets for. So, I mean, the, the, giving them as a present is a bit of a joke. But um, genuinely, it's a really great evening out. You've got to be a bit patient, you've got a bit of queuing and stuff, but you end up seeing a show being recorded and being part of the audience. So bbc.co.uk, shows and tours forward slash shows. It's a really fun thing to do. Amazing. Yeah, highly Check recommended. I've tried to get uh, tickets to go and see the Jules Holland show being recorded. They recorded at a studio in oh, Maidstone. Yeah. Very, very difficult to get hold of those. You've got to be very quick difficult. sometimes. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. Tomo, what have you got, mate? I've got what I think is a gem of a tip. But I, I guess I'll let you guys be the judge of this. <laughs> so um, it turns out, and, and Chris will not be at all surprised by this, that, you know, when you're using your browser and you're on Google and you're searching stuff, well, guess what? All those cookies and everything, advertisers use them. People who are selling you stuff know that you're looking for something. And all of a sudden, you know, you get a couple of days later, you have a pop-up going, oh, why don't you buy this? Well, number one, you know, it's quite good to not have that pop-up because you're always tempted to buy it. But another thing is, is also it, if it knows that you're looking for something and might want it, they may increase the price. 
we think of looking for holidays and searching for holidays as an example or flights if they know people are searching for that they know it might be in demand and they might increase the price based on that so i'm told i'm not at all surprised there's some actions and activity like that going on in the background so how can you get over that well it turns out and i can't believe i've only just come across this so i'm sure many people listen to go you perhaps Tom, i've known about this for years but if you use i use google chrome um quite often and there's three little dots on the right hand side and if you press them you can go into and it there's something that says new incognito window so incognito mode no cookies your browser history isn't isn't um recorded somewhere it doesn't remember the websites you visit or the information you put into forms etc so the idea is is next time you're looking for a holiday perhaps use that and they won't be able to track that that's a popular holiday that's being searched wow that's a great tip now i never knew about that of course it begs the question why is that just not standard <laughs> uh, well, yeah. it's, it's the same reason david why when you go onto a website it says do you accept the cookies you've been on that website 58 times before we can put men on the moon we can have a phone that can track within an inch of where you're standing but my browser can't seem to remember that i don't want to accept all the cookies <laughs> <laughs> one might suspect it was deliberate yeah, it could almost be that they're trying to make money out of us. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, that's a great tip, Tomo. Thanks for that. Right, let's move on then to uh, the next in our regular features, No Shizzle Sherlock, in which we listen to the words of wisdom from a financial or investment guru and wonder whether this indeed insightful and meaningful advice or whether it is arriving on the fast train from obvious land. So, Chris, what's today's inspirational investment insight? Today, David, we're going to quote Phil Town, a hedge fund manager in America and author of several books about investing. He's got a website called Rule One Investing, and this is his big investment tip. Are we ready? Rule one, don't lose money. Rule two, already breaking his own name of his website, but anyway, rule two, don't forget rule number one. So his big investment tip is don't lose money. Well, that seems eminently sensible, and I'd say it seems a strong contender for no shizzle Sherlock. But if your objective in investing was just to not lose money, wouldn't it mean you could simply leave all your money in the bank or tuck them away under a mattress? If only it was that simple, David. Um, when we do that, we forget about the little silent stalker in the background, something that's not very silent at the moment that we're seeing plastered all over the news, inflation. So if your money is in the bank account, earning very little interest, it's certainly not keeping up with the pace of inflation, year on year you're actually losing money because you can't buy the same amount of goods with that amount that's in the bank um, you're losing the purchasing power so just sticking it in the bank you are in fact losing money in real terms because of the effect of inflation ah so does that mean that don't lose money is a no shizzle sherlock or not i'm a bit uh confused here now well, it seems like stating the bleeding obvious at first, but I actually rather like this one. You see, when, when people invest, they tend to look for big winners to find the next big thing. But investing isn't really like that. Well, if only we had an investment expert, somebody that perhaps knew the market was an expert. Tomo, do you know anyone that might know the answer to this question? <laughs> do you know, funny enough, I'm just picking up the phone to give a call to somebody who might. Um, <laughs> I'd like to think I know a little bit. Um 
Yeah, he, he, he's definitely onto something here. That of course you don't want to lose money, but the the way in which you can give yourself a the best chance possible of not losing money by investing is thinking long term. If you're investing, should be quite boring. It's about building a well diversified portfolio. I'm not going to go into the specifics of exactly how to build that, um, but if you build a well-diversified portfolio that's invested around the world, tweak it now and again. But ultimately, when you just sit back and when the markets go down, which they will and they do, the time that you lose money is actually selling at that point. You've got to sit on your hands and be in a position to wait for things to recover because people really lose money in the markets if they don't think long-term and they need to or have a compulsion to sell when markets drop. You've got to wait around. Boring. Sometimes it's about not looking at your valuations for years at a time and just letting it do its thing. Mm. That's great advice. Thanks, Thomas. So I think based on that, Phil Town passes the no-shizzle Sherlock test. But I have a follow-up question for you. Now, Chris said that uh, Phil is a hedge fund manager. This is a phrase that you hear a lot. Uh, now, as far as I'm concerned, a hedge fund manager is somebody that, that, that looks after a, a well-tended bit of privet. But uh, I suspect <laughs> there's a little bit more to it because you know what? I hear about this this expression all the time. I've no idea. I haven't got a single Scooby what a hedge fund actually is. Okay. Uh, so a hedge fund, it's it's a word used more in the US, I would, I would say. Um, but the idea is, is that it's a fund. And the idea is a fund that there is a big pool of money in there and there is somebody managing it, hedge fund manager in this instance, and they might do quirky types of investments that mean that they're trying their best to never lose money, hence this guy's never lose money, and they do fancy little trickery in the background. Quite frankly, it's the easiest way to say it's a fund that has investments that tries to make money. Um, There's a lot of detail this, but... It doesn't tend to be available to us mere mortals, does it? No, it doesn't tend to be available to what we call retail clients like ourselves. It tends to be quite high net worth individuals. Um, and like I say, it's it's definitely more popular in the States, this idea of being a hedge fund manager. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure if that's a greatest explanation. but it's, Investment it, it club. Smoke. Investment club for really wealthy people is how I... Yeah, that's not a terrible way to put it. And they they do like to use various different instruments that make them sound very interested and clever. Quite frankly, investing, in my view, doesn't need to be that complicated. But there you go. Are they they subject to the same rules and risks of investment as us mere mortals? Uh, Yes. Yes, they are. Um, But they've got more money than us, so they can afford to lose a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, go on Google Hedge Funds. Probably get a better explanation than I just gave you. <laughs> All right, then. Well, that certainly piqued our interest. Thanks for that, Tomo. Right, Chris, you've kept us waiting long enough. Please tell us the secret to everlasting happiness and universal enlightenment. Ooh, okay, here we go. So we've been talking for 83 episodes about all the different ways that we can improve our relationship to money and and thereby increase our well-being. So in this episode, we're going to try and find the magic bullet. We're going to provide the one key secret to increasing our happiness. Well, it's interesting, this whole notion of happiness. Uh, Like all of us, my life has been a series of ups and downs. You know, you have good times, you have bad times. I have to say at the moment, 
generally speaking, I'm incredibly happy. And I had a day the other day, which is one of those days where I spent the day pottering about the house with my lovely, lovely partner. We did a bit of gardening. The sun was out for the first time in what seemed like months. And we were kind of very happy in our own company. I then went into the theatre in the evening where I'm appearing in a very successful play at Bristol Old Vic. And then I came off stage afterwards, radiating in the glory of all the applause from the people in the show to realise that my team, Bristol City, had just won. Oh, my uh, God, what a day. I know, I know. It was a fantastic day. And to make it even better, Bristol Rovers had lost. So, uh, <laughs> so for me... Standard Saturday that, then, really. <laughs> no, it was a Wednesday. But, yeah, that kind of encapsulated for me, you know, uh, uh, all those uh, dominoes lined up and not being toppled over. You know, it was just a, a really lovely example of how sometimes life for you is just really, really great. And I was genuinely very, very happy. You got anything, Tomo, to uh, anything like that? Um, I I think a, a day for me that really is, a yeah, which I love is waking up with my wife and my children, having a lovely breakfast together, having some fun, playing a few games and having a tea time lined up in the afternoon, go and play some golf, usually with some friends or my dad, um, really enjoy that, come back, sit down, put the kids to bed and have a lovely glass of whiskey. That to me is what I look, that is the ultimate day for me. And it seems very simple, but that give me a great deal of pleasure. Mm, sounds I'll, lovely. I'll take both of those. And I, I, I'm slightly more simple. I, I'd go for a slice of Manchego cheese with a few drips of truffle oil on the top. Oh, that's definitely the most middle-class suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Chris. But, oh, but I have to say, sounds absolutely lovely. We ought to try and do some sort of, uh, composite of all of those experiences and i think we would all have the most magical time right let's do that let's do that so i mean actually your examples have touched on the secret i'm going to provide several different other sources for this secret to happiness because i've noticed that in all the books i've read over the last five or six years and i've read quite a lot of books on happiness and all the podcasts and talks i've listened to one particular point comes up over and over again so you two have helped produce many, many, many episodes of this Financial Wellbeing podcast. From all that you've heard, what would you say is the golden thread which runs through everything we've been talking about? Oh, my word. Well, I think the, the, the thing that was uh, very much in what we were talking about just then, Tom and I, is, is it's other people, isn't it? It's being around other people. It's uh, enjoying the company of those people that you care about while at the same time putting a bit of time aside for yourself to do the things that you want to do, be it gardening or golf or eating cheese with truffle oil. Tomo? Well, I just thought it was just be tight as you can. So look, let's, let's, let's think about some of the things we've heard, right? So for example, the five key areas of well-being and the Harvard study on happiness. Tomo, would you care to remind our listeners about that? I, I will certainly try. Um, so, so the book Wellbeing by Tom Rath and Jim Harter, um, I definitely recommend giving that a read, um, gives five main areas of well-being based upon decades of research by Gallup. Those five areas are career, physical, community, financial, hey, that's what we're here for, I'm trying to thread these various bits in, and social. Harvard University have been conducting a survey whereby they've asked 900, um, around, I think it was around 900, 18-year-olds what they thought would make them happy. 
And the response was overwhelmingly that it was expected fame and money to be the main contributor to a happy life. Well, they've been contacting these people every two years to get an update on their response. And they've been doing this for nearly 80 years. So this is a long running study. Obviously, I don't think they've quite got the sample size they did before if, they, if they've been going this long. But the results show that far and away, the biggest con contributor to their well-being was the quality of their social contacts. Not the quantity, but the quality. They even found that people who reported loneliness died younger. So of those five areas of well-being that Gallup identified, the most important is social. Wow. So, yeah, it kind of echoes what I was saying, really. So uh, making time to spend time with our friends is really important. Is that the key, Chris? It, not quite, although it's it's showing us in, in the right direction. It's certainly part of it. Um, evidence shows that spending time with other people, thinking about other people, caring about other people will increase our well-being. Now, I'd like to tell you about another book I'm reading at the moment by Richard Layard, someone who's been studying happiness for many, many decades now. I think he's now in his late 80s. He's just produced an excellent book called Can We Be Happier? Evidence and Ethics. And in this book, he provides a really compelling, well, I mean, an incontrovertible argument, I'd say, that we all have a duty to make a happy society, which is quite a strong statement. We have a duty to make a happy society. And he, based on many decades of research, breaks this down into three parts. Number one, that society should be judged by their levels of happiness, not, as we have at the moment, by economic growth, by gross domestic product, GDP. It should be levels of happiness. Um, the work of uh, an organisation called Centre for Thriving Places is very much at the heart of that. If anybody's interested in looking them up, fascinating organisation. Secondly, as individuals, we should try and make as much happiness as we can and derive as much of our own happiness from increasing the happiness of others. And thirdly, that policymakers, the government, should target policies that increase happiness and or reduce misery. Wow, well, that's 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 kind of really interesting. We we talked in a previous podcast with your interview with Neil Beige about how how social media can uh, can well can create unhappiness really, and how it is possible for us to to curate our social media experience to make sure that it is a place in which we can prosper and thrive and not get dragged into into nasty arguments with people. Uh, is that perhaps an example of this sort of thing about how how we need to actually positively go out there and and try and make changes in our lives that, that that focus on happiness and not misery yeah I, I think it's that duty i think that's a great line to think of we have a duty to make others happy i think that's a really nice approach it's a, it's a frame of mind isn't it um so that's richard layard and his public policy approach to increasing the well-being of others and i've got a third piece of evidence it comes from a man, a man who you might say has been behind a lot of the research and thinking about happiness over much of the second part of the last century. I don't mention him too often because, to be honest, I worry that people might think he's a bit far out and we might lose some people. Ah, you've been reading David Icke's books again, haven't you? <laughs> do you know, didn't David Icke once do, a, do a, a talk that lasted seven hours without pause? Off the top of his head. Amazing. Um, I'm not sure I'd be very interested in content, but I admire, <laughs> admire the Constitution to do it. Anyway, no, not David Icke. Um, I, I've been realising recently that 
Um, if you imagine there's a church hall, right, or a school hall, and on one side of the disco is all of the academics and theologians thinking about happiness and doing research, brilliant people like Elizabeth Dunn in Canada doing research on happiness and producing white papers. Not On the other side of the hall, there's a group of Buddhists going, yeah, <laughs> we, we've been saying this for two and a half thousand years, guys. Um, because <laughs> everything that I keep reading ends up back to kind of basic Buddhist philosophies. So it's the Dalai Lama. Um, I watched uh, a webinar with the Dalai Lama, and I also have read uh, several books of his, including the most extraordinary book I've ever read called The Book of Joy, a conversation between him and Desmond Tutu, which I recommend to everybody. So his secret to happiness is, is twofold. Firstly, he explains that happiness comes from within. Now, we talked about that recently, didn't we? We had two episodes ago, David, number 82, what determines your self-worth? So if we first understand that happiness doesn't come from what we own or what people think of us, um, social comparisons, we see that happiness comes from within. The follow-on question is, therefore, how do we generate that self-worth, that internal happiness? And the Dalai Lama has the most wonderful expression to describe the answer to this. He says that we should all live with a warm heart. Oh, what a lovely expression. I like that. Yeah, I, I I think about this warm heart thing, and he and he's right. And I also, it was, um, and I'm not suggesting he's in the same light, but I remember Barack Obama being interviewed. I think I said it on this podcast before, and it's something that I try and tell Toby, my my eldest, to do. And Bella's a bit too young now um, to say this, but it, this idea of being, if you could be just two things, be kind and be helpful, and, and maybe there's there's some link there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is this gives us our secret to happiness from the Harvard study, showing that the quality of social relationships matters most to Richard Layard, providing evidence to demonstrate our duty to focus on the well-being of others and the Dalai Lama telling us to live with a warm heart. So the secret to happiness is this. Make other people happy. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of really simple. And actually, well, it's very profound, isn't it? And it also seems like that's a very easy thing to do. And I guess in order to make that a constant thing, it has to become a, a, an attitude, a state of mind, something that you take into your everyday life. Uh, can I add something in here, chaps? Clearly, if we all focused our attention on making each other happy, then what happier world we would live in? But given that I'm a chartered financial planner on this show, I wonder if we, and it's called the Financial Wellbeing uh, Podcast, I wonder if we might just finish up wondering how people might be able to bring that attitude into their finances. I'm guessing philanthropy might be one. Uh, for sure. But but I don't think that should be the main takeaway. I, I certainly think it should be on the agenda. You know, have, having a philanthropy. So what's the word I struggle with? Philanthropy. There you go. Having a philanthropy. Somebody say it for me. Philanthropy plan is one thing. <laughs> Having a warm heart feels a I don't know, feels a bit closer closer to the point. I, I agree, Tom. I think it's about um, finding ways to make other people happy in the everyday. It's a frame of mind. It's an attitude to life. Mm. So one one of the big things I do with clients and what we plan around is the idea of of objectives of motivations. You know what what makes you tick. You know what are we planning towards. Um, and perhaps if we made sure that included this warm heart idea or having a positive impact on other people and making them happier, 
within our objectives that are in a financial plan that if we built this longer term financial plan towards that being a thing in your life and being able to fund that, I think that could have an incredibly positive element to any planning that you do. I, I, often what we find with financial planning, there is an element of heads down. We've got, we've got to crack on, we've got to earn money. We've got to be putting money away. We've got to be doing some of the boring stuff. You know, there are some key planks to building a financial plan that, you know, are very practical and that's great. But, well, this is, I guess, what a job of a financial planner is, is, is for at least once a year, come and recheck and just make sure that, you know, what's it all for? Is it to align, align to these things that are going to make us potentially happier? And in this instance, what we're talking about, align to having good social connections. So, yeah, if you're thinking about your plan, try not to think purely in a financial aspect. Try and think about these other, other things and making sure that you are thinking about them when you're thinking about how you're spending your money and what you're saving for. So on that practical point of view with a financial plan, if you're able to actually build one, put in some of those key, as I said, the, the practical financial elements that you'd need to put in, saving and making sure that you've put enough away. Once you do that exercise, I found on so many occasions where clients actually realise they're going to be financially okay. And it gives them that peace of mind to actually start to explore more about actually how can I make my money and my time and my resource work in a positive way to the people around me. So, you know, sometimes just building a financial plan and knowing you're going to be okay and getting that peace of mind will enable you to actually think about other people. And although we're, we're doing it to improve our own well-being, sometimes we struggle to think about other people in those relationships because we're worried about our own financial situation. So even going through a financial plan might give you more headspace to think about this sort of stuff. I've just been writing an article. I write a, a monthly column for uh, an industry um, paper called The Professional Advisor. And the latest one I'm, I'm working on is called Three Steps to Happiness. It's very easy. What you do is you start on step two, which is to understand that happiness comes from within. Step three is be kind to others. And then you can start on step one, which is having a financial plan, which clears your head to be able to think of those things. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. I'll end with a little story, if I may. Um, I, as I previously mentioned, appearing in this play in Bristol at the moment, I park in the same car park every night, council car park. And when I come back to pay for my ticket, there's a homeless person sitting, sitting by the pay station, clearly hoping that that's a point when people have got their money out. And so for the last three nights, I've come, I never carry cash now. I, everything is, you know, my money's on my phone. And so the, the last couple of times, I'd rather uncomfortably thought, oh, I'll just ignore him. He's just sitting there. He's not bothering me. He's not hassling me. He's just there. And, and then yesterday, last night, I just, I just thought, I've got to speak to this guy. I, you know, I said, look, I'm really sorry. I'd like to help you out. But I don't have any money. I don't have any cash on me. I just don't carry cash anymore. He said, yeah, that's the, you know, that's the, that's the situation these days. A lot of people don't have cash. He said, but you know what? I'm really, really grateful to you for stopping and having a chat with me and explaining that to me. So we had a little chat um, and then I got in my car and drove back. Um, and I think in some small way, I showed him some kindness that hopefully made him feel for that nanosecond a little bit better 
But I tell you what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to go to the cash machine and make sure I've got some cash to give him when I go and park my car. Anyway. Uh, David, David, just one, one final thought on that. Um, a great story. Uh, one of the things that uh, now, now the cat's out of the bag and I mentioned the Dalai Lama, I'm going to mention him again. One of the things that he talks about is that being kindness, showing kindness to others is, is actually can be seen as quite a selfish thing in a good way. Because being kind to others is how you get internal self-worth, is how you get personal kindness and personal joy. Uh, compassion is the word, the, the very Buddhist word. Um, so actually, you know, that's another way to think of it, is to say yeah, being nice to other people is actually also being nice to myself. Well, that's true, because unlike the two previous times, I didn't drive away from the car park going, oh, God, I really wish I could have done something like that, man. I went away going, oh, OK, I just you know, had, had, had a real moment of yeah, feeling feeling happier about myself. So. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to give money to people on the street. I know that's a huge area of contention, but uh, that's just an example of of a little uh, interaction that made me feel better about myself. Right. Hopefully, then, you'll all glean something from that. Hopefully, Chris, the Buddhist master, has now <laughs> shown, you, no. shown you the route to happiness, and Tomo has been able to explain how you can equate that to your financial well-being. And I hope that you've got enough from this to make you think, yeah, I'll listen to another one of these next time we reconvene for another one in our series of financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing podcast. More interesting than you might think.